0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and this week we are doing Cavalcade.
1: Um, So this was, uh, it's a movie from 1933. Um, Neither of us really knew what this was going into it. I believe you thought it was a Western. I thought it was a musical. It is neither.
0: (laughs) In my defense, a cavalcade is a procession historically of horses.
1: Or of people walking or riding on vehicles.
0: (laughs) Okay, so basically, we didn't know what we were talking about. Yeah, I didn't know
1: what the word <laughs> meant, and then I like finally looked at the film to see what it was. Um, it, as I said, it is not a Western or a musical. It is a historic family drama that spans the years 1899 through 1933. Which one of us do you think was more wrong?
0: Let us know in our <laughs> fan mail. <laughs> oh, I was
1: asking you specifically. Oh, you were asking me?
0: <laughs> um, listeners can weigh in, too. I don't know. I... I think we were both pretty wrong. There
1: were three songs.
0: Okay, that's fair. So that's I think fair. I was closest with it. It was a musical. <laughs> I will give you that much.
1: Um, but yes, as I was saying, this is uh 1933 movie. It won the sixth Academy Awards. This was the last year that the eligibility period spanned multiple years.
0: I was going to say, because this was made in 1934, correct?
1: No, no, no. 1933. The Okay, uh, gotcha. time period for eligibility was... Let me double check it. It was August 1st, 1932 through December 31st, 1933. Previously, the eligibility periods were about a year, but uh, the awards had been during the summer. Gotcha. Yeah. So this sort of uh, re-established that time period so that it was like a full calendar year, and that's what we're familiar with today. So this was the longest period of eligibility. It's 17 months.
0: Well... I would argue that this maybe didn't help the quality of the winner.
1: <laughs> um, I, you know, I, yeah, up front, this is not one of Ian and mine's favorites. Um, but I would have argued that that longer time period meant that there were more movies, some of which I think probably should have won over cavalcade. Uh, I'll kind of talk more about that at the end of the podcast, uh, but yes, yeah, so as I was saying, this is a family drama that spans the years 1899 through 1933, and it's following this one British family through a lot of very important historical events. Um, it was based on a play from 1931 by Noel Coward with the same title, and it stars Diana Winward and Clive Brooke. It won three Academy Awards, uh, Frank Lloyd won for Best Director, his movie Mutiny on the Bounty won uh, Best Picture two years later. And so we will be watching that as well. I That one
0: sounds interesting.
1: I don't know if he won for Best Director or not. I mean, it's, it's I want to say, who is in it? I can't, I think Clark Gable's in it. But it is, of course, based on the real events of the Mutiny on the Bounty. Um, and then uh, Cavalcade, obviously, also won Best Picture. It also won for Best Art Direction, which I can see William S. Darling won for that. I think the sets were nice. I also really loved the costuming.
0: Oh, completely agree. Some of those wonderful Victorian outfits with the hats. And I'm going to be honest here. I was feeling some like Bioshock Infinite, <laughs> which is well, set in the same time yeah, period. Yeah, it, it um, overlaps with Or the same there. cultural time period, yes, but I it was
1: say, It so. was nice to see the sets and costumes evolving with the time period. Yes. Um, I think they did a nice job of that. Because, you know, that's something we kind of noted in, I think it was Wings, where we were like, it's... Like the costuming is and the hair and makeup is just not period appropriate, um, so you know, Cavalcade, okay, they stuck really closely to that. uh Diana Winward was also nominated for best Actress, but lost to Katherine Hepburn for Morning Glory.
0: Well, we're talking about Katherine Hepburn, who I know we both love, yes, I so adore her. I don't feel bad, <laughs> yeah,
1: um, you know i I liked Diana Winward's performance. I thought she did a nice job, I think you know kind of just to dive into now our commentary after a little you know giving that bit of background I I don't think she had a ton to work with honestly like i think she had some very nice moments particularly um you know the various train stations and like at the ships like when she got to, had to see her husband off to the boer war yes. and then seeing her son off to world war one especially the world war one when i think she killed it
0: oh the so the one scene where um she's sending her son back after his tour mm-hmm. well back after his leave and you're at the train station you see her at the gate uh going onto to the platform and you can really feel her emotion in that scene.
1: Yeah, and which then is, you see that hospital train exactly. come in, and they're carrying the wounded in front and of she her. gets to
0: see the person on the stretcher. Yeah. Which, I mean, the, the heavy amount of foreshadowing about uh, Joey's death yes. was, uh, I don't know. It just felt... Uh, Th-
1: this movie was not subtle.
0: No, ever, it wasn't subtle.
1: Ever. And I mean, you know, the only thing that was subtle was Diana Winward's performance at parts. Yes, agreed. And, yeah,
0: but I really, I, I really liked her performance there.
1: Now, I will say, there
0: were many portions of her performance that I felt were completely overdone. So, I, the whole scene with her and her husband near the beginning, when he's going off to the Boer War, yes, and she's—it's it, almost like she's bringing back some of the very exaggerated silent film styles of showing emotion, which. I understand that you want to show how devastated you are and how broken up that your husband might die but at the same time you are supposed to be a high class
1: it felt inconsistent with her later stuff like I, I don't know maybe though it was like the Victorian like stiff upper lip in public well and allowed that's... to fall apart in private but mm, okay I you no know, I agree I thought it was a little bit overdone there and she was kind of saying the lines in very similar tones and it was I, I just wasn't buying it. And then I also just didn't buy her chemistry with Clive Brook. Like, I didn't think they had any chemistry. I did not buy them as like a loving couple.
0: I agree with the exception of the very last scenes. So yes. when they are ringing in the new year, 1933, I believe, it was mm-hmm. 32 to 33. Yeah. That was one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie. Agreed. Because the amount. Of Well, again, subtlety. And you could tell how much the two had bonded and were like a couple and were together and partners in this. And that final scene with them on the balcony, beautifully framed and backlit, looking out on uh, what was eventually, I believe, the church with the um, cross at the top. I don't I think know, it was St. Paul's. I think
1: it was supposed to be St. Paul's.
0: Oh, that was beautiful to me. Loved that part. Um, but again, that was one the very end of many 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 scenes yes
1: it was you know what three minutes of a two-hour film exactly um
0: so there was something there that they could have worked with but just seemed to not
1: well and i i'm not sure i think You know, I don't know if maybe some of it was Frank Lloyd's direction, especially like I did feel like it found more later on. But I, in general, like I just wasn't buying the performances. But I think problems were with the writing, like the dial. I was like, I have a note that's like this dialogue is killing me. It was very like I don't want to say cliche. It was just very like stilted and unnatural.
0: Well, and this is another thing where I, I love the theater and I go to the theater here in Atlanta all the time see some great shows but this adaptation you could tell it was a theater adaptation and probably in some of the worst ways so in the direction in addition to the dialogue the direction i felt was very very stage based so that very first scene of new year's eve um with the blocking of um Jane and Robert. It's like you would see Jane kind of move forward in the frame and look off the edge of the screen while Robert's kind of looking at her from behind. And all I could think was, you were playing to a live audience here. You're not using the film medium. I mean, as it should but you, be. You
1: see that in like a lot of like 30s films, and you know, even like 40s films. I think it starts to go away in kind of late 50s, where you have like the person out like kind of looking off in the distance and delivering something, because the close up was actually a relatively new invention. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it. it it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I think just like... It felt like,
0: like it didn't here.
1: Here, I think that, it coupled with the dialogue, mm-hmm. it just felt off. And then also something that really bothered me was I was like, people's emotions go from zero to a thousand in this film. Like, it's like the maid who um, is played by Una O'Connor, I think. Um, yes. Ellen. Who... Yes, Ellen. I I love Una O'Connor. She's been in some of my favorite movies, including my favorite Christmas movie, Christmas in Connecticut. Um, So she's like a very notable character actress from the time. But like her character, you know, especially early on, would just like break down like very suddenly. Like you knew she was sad, but it was like the breakdown came like suddenly and so much stronger than what I would expect like a real life person to do
0: unless I mean if they're going for the I'm barely holding together my emotions because my husband is at war and I'm torn up inside and have this daughter at home and like okay like maybe you didn't but, see the
1: transition like yeah. you know like you it seemed like they were holding it together like decently and then suddenly it was like scream cry and I was like why well, that's So You don't go from zero to ugly
0: crying in two seconds. No,
1: like at least give me (laughs) some like quivering lip or like a little bit of like tears, like trying to hold it back. I I don't know. It just felt unnatural.
0: And Jane as well, in the scene where Ellen is talking to Jane about the courtship of Fanny and Joey, I felt kind of did the same thing.
1: She, you never had any indication that Jane was so classist and then suddenly she was very classist and I was like, we've... She was chilling at their house and seemed very chummy in exactly. that earlier. And then scene. all of a
0: sudden, when it comes to marriage, you're not okay with it. I just the inconsistency in her, the way that character was written is, like you were saying, just jarring.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you know it's some of the same problems that we saw with Yancy's character in Cimarron, where because you're sort of doing this vignette style over a long period of time, that you aren't given as much character development or like time with one character. And, and it was a
0: large cast too. It was. So and I think that, I think
1: that's the problem is I think Diana winward's character Jane is kind of supposed to be the main character, but they spend a lot of time away from her.
0: Oh, that was one of the biggest questions I had. So who is this film actually about? <laughs> I
1: think it's supposed to be about her because you have that opening title card that i wrote About down the mother yeah it's, it together. was i wrote it down it's this is the story of a home and a family history seen through the eyes of a wife and mother whose love tempers both fortune and disaster that set up completely wrong expectations for any of the characters for me because i expected jane to be more like strong upper lip based on that yes. because it was like well, her she love tempers these things. exactly but like she just seemed to be falling apart a lot I also have a note after that title card that says no fun female characters for us. Because <laughs> it, oh, it felt very, so very true. 30s.
0: I mean, Fanny had the potential to be fun.
1: you But like you didn't...
0: You didn't get to see her at all. They,
1: okay, here's the thing with these characters. They're all very one-dimensional. And mm-hmm. I think the male characters are even worse than the female characters in that sense of being very one-dimensional and flat. Yes. Um, well, and
0: I think that might... well. I'm sure it was a, a choice to focus more on the female characters.
1: Yeah, which is something you see a lot in early 30s movies, which I, I do like, but then if you're going to... Not going to f- do it well? Yes, exactly. If you're <laughs> going to make that choice to be like, you know, maybe in this film, the male characters are more relegated to the background and we're focusing on the female characters, focus on them and make them dimensional characters. And you can still have background characters that are dimensional characters. I mm-hmm. mean, you know... um, Charles Dickens is notorious for having background characters who appear in like a couple of pages, but are crazy memorable because he makes (laughs) them characters. So it's doable. Yeah, it's definitely doable.
0: But yeah, that, I think the acting wasn't bad, like you said, but they're
1: doing the best
0: they can with the material they have. Yeah,
1: and I understand why Diana Winward got the nomination. Because like we were saying, I mean, she has these really beautiful moments and I think it's, it's almost when she doesn't have to deliver dialogue, I think. She does a yes, beautiful job. Agreed. And I it's probably cuz the dialogue is so clunky. But, you know, I understand her nomination. I'm very okay with her not having one.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Especially when it's like Catherine Hepburn was in the mix.
0: But I I would honestly really like to see this on stage now, just to see how mm-hmm. it has it was adapted to the film cuz I yeah. I really honestly believe that took away a lot of this film's power.
1: I would agree. Um, I have to say, though, the scenes that I liked the most were between Jane and her friend Margaret.
0: Oh, that was the best. Especially, okay, I, I'm going to the I, end Because I thought Irene
1: Brown, who played Margaret, I thought did a phenomenal job. Agreed. I really liked her performance.
0: Well, and the, the scene at the very end, again, I... This ending scene I was all about, mm-hmm. and not just because the film was over, but because <laughs> I really enjoyed the acting in it. But the discussion that Margaret had about oh, jazz isn't so bad, and she's like this modern, forward-looking woman who is helping kind of pull Jane. Well, we with saw her. that we saw
1: that earlier too, when yeah. you know the husbands were off at war, and she's like, we're going out to dinner, and Jane was like, alone, and she was what like, what
0: will people think?
1: Yeah, she was like, well, you know, we'll ask so and so to take us. I think it was like one of her cousins or something. She's mm-hmm. like, we will ask my cousin to take us. If my cousin can't go we're going alone because we're going out basically like, we're not gonna I want sit here and be margaret. sad
0: i want to see more margaret yes and we did oh my
1: god i would loved more margaret but I, i thought irene brown did a very nice job and my favorite scenes were kind of the two of them together
0: yes and that's when i think you also saw more of the character development and got to know more of the characters which to some extent makes sense you're gonna have yeah. a more open character when they're speaking with some of their closest friends yeah so those scenes were good yeah
1: so I you know given how I thought that there were even though we didn't see much Margaret and you know I think you know there weren't necessarily that many scenes of just the two of them talking but you did get kind of the bulk of your character development for Jane I think there and I think you know that relationship was written and acted so nicely it would have been nice if like the husband-wife relationship had been sort of given that same attention I think
0: yes yes but again, it's not about the husband. It's about Jane, so I don't I, But know. that's,
1: that's going to be a huge relationship uh, in her life. It so. is.
0: And the ending scene tries to drive that home, but then there was a whole middle portion, like yeah. 80, 90% of the movie where we didn't see it.
1: So. Yeah. Um, Kind of another big note that I had for this movie, and it, I noted it at the opening, and so my note starts with, like, the opening feels like this, but I kind of would apply it to the whole movie. It felt old in a way that Grand Hotel, All Quiet, and even I think Cimarron didn't.
0: Hmm. I didn't get that so much, and I think that's because of the camera work, but I want to hear you out on this.
1: So the camera work wasn't as dynamic to me as like, an, obviously, an All Quiet. All Quiet cinematography was is currently our gold standard, I think, um, <laughs> but it came down to the writing and the characters to me, and that lack of a developed, like, interesting character. So, like, Grand Hotel obviously. So, again, this is still pre code. Mm-hmm. Grand Hotel had a. There were parts that have a very pre code feel, and you had, like, Joan Crawford's stenographer character who, like, is very blatantly, like, sleeping with people, not, like, kind of sleeping with people for money, like, not like. Or well,
0: she's. Sleep- uh, what's the would you call her a uh, an escort maybe like that's that's not much really too strong yeah of a word, it's, it's too but... strong of a word
1: but like you you have some very like mod it, it touches some very like modern tough issues you know and like garbo's character's depression and mm-hmm. stuff like that um so it feels very modern and you get like a good feel of character there and they're very strong characters very interesting characters very dynamic characters all quiet i think is kind of the same way where you get some very interesting characters and you're dealing with these very large concepts in depth and you're dealing with like, you know, the physical, emotional, and psychological damage of warfare. And you're doing it in a very strong, bold way. And like, even Cimarron, you know, we talked about the character of Sabra a lot. And even though Cimarron had a lot of issues, which Mm -hmm. we went in depth about in that episode, like it had a lot of issues. Don't get me wrong, but there were nuggets of very interesting story and very interesting characters and to me, Cavalcade was very vanilla. It was very bland.
0: Now, another consideration, I think, would maybe be the fact that we didn't live through the early 20th century in London.
1: <laughs> but we also didn't live through World War I, but Wings and All Quiet on the Western Front still had very profound impacts on us. Okay.
0: And that's, yeah, I can't argue with that.
1: Like, you know, it was just, it didn't, it didn't seem to take a stance to me. It wasn't bold it didn't do anything interesting Mm -hmm. it didn't even really give me a character to get attached to like I I didn't I couldn't even muster frustration over this movie the way I did for Cimarron
0: so I again you're more character driven than me so there were certain parts where I definitely got a little bit worked up and worried about well the levels of dramatic irony were astounding in certain portions it was
1: so heavy-handed yes
0: yes which sometimes works for me, but it also wasn't character driven. It was all, so like the scene on the ship uh, with their eldest son um, and Edith. Oh,
1: I saw the title card and I was like, oh, Titanic's going to sink They're on it.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. And so I got a little bit worked up on about that. And See, then... I
1: didn't because I couldn't care less for either of those <laughs> characters.
0: I don't know. I got wrapped up in it. But again, it's because you are very character focused.
1: Yeah, like I was just like, I, I know exactly what's going to happen, which I'm assuming was that your text. I got a text from Ian who watched this film before I did. And he was just like, all I'm going to say is I called it. Yes, yeah, that, that was that what called
0: I called. <laughs> yes. as, no, as soon as they were on the beach and they were looking at the large steamer, I'm like, oh, shit, they're going down.
1: <laughs> also, that entire conversation, I wanted to be like, Edith, stop hamleting this. It's <laughs> driving me up a wall. I was like, I kind of liked you before. Because her initial line deliveries were some of the most natural in the film, and then I was like, "Why are you doing this?" Like, like because the writer whole, said so. Her I whole dialogue—it's like, "I'm so happy right now. I wouldn't mind dying tonight. Would you mind, Edward?" And he's like, "Oh, don't think about that. We've got our whole lives ahead of us." And I was like, "We know. Like, we know you're on the Titanic. Like, stop." And you didn't
0: have to focus in on the stupid I, little this
1: film like ding. browbeat every inch of theme
0: well and here's another thing it
1: it just like hit you over the head with everything it was like I don't know I felt like this film almost assumed that me as an audience member was stupid
0: I could see this working in a very minimal theatrical production
1: exactly like I think I think you're right I think it's was a bad theater adaptation like I because, you know, with theater, more exaggerated dialogue, it's more workable. You're already in a much more dramatic setting. It doesn't well, have the intimacy of film. And when I say
0: minimal, I'm talking like actors and maybe a chair in like some black box venue. Like they could do this really well, I think.
1: Potentially. I would still but, want to see. I think some of the dialogue would still have me roll in my eyes. But <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think if you, I think it is very much a theatrical production that, did not translate well to film.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: Because, I mean, no, Grand Hotel was what uh, adapted from a play that was adapted from a book, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. So they could go back to the source material and go from...
1: Exactly, but that that translated much better on screen, I think, than Mm -hmm. this did.
0: Agreed. So now that we have maybe browbeat the uh, acting (laughs) and dialogue ourselves, (laughs) I'd like to talk a little bit about the camera work uh, that I was seeing. So I actually disagree with you a little bit, Maggie, with the camera work. So in the very first scene, the amount of movement in the camera I found actually very interesting. So when they come in the house, it's like the camera is following them every single step of the way. And I know that one-shot scenes are... Probably overblown in some cases, but like seeing how long they were able to have one continuous scene going just felt a lot more modern. And then you had some tracking shots with the uh, Jane and Robert in—I uh, was it a dressing room or their living room? I think I'm it trying, was like their parlor, uh, that
1: assuming. room with
0: the one mirror and the big flowers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that felt a lot more dynamic to me in contrast with the content. But I actually really enjoyed some of those can that camera working there and then even in the parlor you had the actors blocked in such a way that they interacted with the one mirrored set piece where you were able to kind of see them interacting and moving um and looking through that mirror which i don't know i i really enjoyed it
1: i guess it just wasn't enough for me
0: i mean I'd argue it still wasn't enough. It was like a little <laughs> nugget of, okay, this is kind of cool, but I it didn't materially impact how much I, I really liked Yeah, Yeah, and you know, you know,
1: it was camera work that I noticed every now and then. There were a couple shots, like the overhead shot of the hospital train pulling in. And yes. again, like that whole bit with Jane seeing Joey off after his leave and he's going back to the front lines. Like I thought it was acted well. I thought it was shot well. Like it was staged well. Yes. Like I think that scene kind of showed us what could have been done a lot of the time. Mm-hmm and wasn't done. But maybe, you know what, maybe it's like those scenes and like seeing the husband's off at the ship and stuff, because those, I think in some ways, maybe couldn't have been lifted straight from a play and couldn't have been done the same way that a play could. So you were actually taking advantage of the medium. So maybe that's why we liked those better.
0: That sounds highly plausible. (laughs) I
1: did have, I did have a problem with the farewell of the husband I, this is when I noted, I was like, this dialogue is killing me. And he's like, I want you to turn away and keep talking so you don't have to see as he leaves. And I was like, I don't understand the function of this. And then, of course, Diana Winward was just.
0: I felt you she was gnawing on that, that scenery.
1: She was gnawing on that scenery.
0: <laughs> I thought that was a beautiful shot, though. Again, I'm a sucker for the really pretty backlit
1: well i've been shots, loved when she so. turns around and is starting to push her way to the crowd and stuff and then like actually Comes does across see to ellen off. too yeah and like like that, that bit nice. i liked but i was just like that it like it was so just unnecessary and then also at the same time we have very little context for robert's character like he seems like the blandest of the bland
0: Well, he's a knight, so maybe he can be bland.
1: Well, that scene too, I didn't understand the function of other than than to just show us that he had been knighted, but I was like, they could have done that with a line of dialogue in the next cut. Like, they just didn't really function at all.
0: Okay, so this leads really well into a big gripe I have with this movie, and it's its transitions and lack of them. (laughs) So that's the thing. Going into that party scene, I have zero context for why we're now at a fancy... uh, I presume some sort of state sponsored function and then it's like oh okay he's he's now been knighted and is sir robert.
1: Yeah there was just no real purpose to the story. Right. And so
0: even the the place where I really noticed it was the montage where somebody like ha- was super well what I like to think is all of those double exposure sort of things someone was like getting off on that cuz that whole war scene I thought was way too much okay
1: i actually kind of liked that because one it was different two it took advantage of the medium okay and three i actually thought it was kind of a nice way to show the war like and it did go on for a long time but i also have a hard time judging when battle scenes in like war especially world war one go on too long because i'm also like it could also be a statement on like how long the war went you know like i don't know. maybe i'm giving it more credit than i should but
0: well we can err on the side of being more generous yeah
1: but uh it's i actually kind of liked it because it starts off and you have it's just the men marching and they're marching through an intact town oh the way then, that yes, changes exactly. as the years and progress as it shows close-ups they're all smiling mm-hmm. and then it'll so that's like 1914 and then it's like 1915 the town that they're marching through like it's still the same people marching but the town looks a little bit more decrepit and then mm-hmm. the overlays of the facial expressions are like a little bit worse 1916 it starts to be the overlays of people just dying and then like the di- the deaths get more horrific and they get more into close-ups and you get to see the pain on people's faces and then the town that the people are marching through gets slowly worse and worse and worse and you've got bombs going off and i actually really liked that
0: i also liked how the so the women who recruit for the war effort it's like oh geez now they're like demonic in the scene it was
1: almost it reminded me a little bit of like late 60s film a little bit where it gets kind of trippy
0: it definitely was trippy yeah (laughs) and that okay so that specific scene i think the reason i at the very end of it i was like okay come on now let's get going is because i think it did go on a little bit well i mean
1: i knew you know it was going through the years of the war but then of course after that bit which i thought like that
0: transition into the after that bit, was just like, Yes! Bam, Fanny is dancing on stage.
1: Yeah, I was like, what?
0: So that uh, that was a big gripe that I had with this. And unlike with um, Cimarron, where it was like a very clear multi-act structure where, okay, we are now in the future, things have changed. This was just, bam, here's a new scene change.
1: Yeah, and then sometimes they made it clear what year it was with a title card. Sometimes they didn't bother with the title card and told you in dialogue. And yeah it was a
0: bit of a mess from that perspective
1: structurally it was a mess
0: and that's again another mark against it and why I think we we didn't it okay so maybe you could say that we should have followed it better but they didn't make it easy no it wasn't
1: (laughs) I think that was the problem though too is because it was like sometimes there was a title card like they started with title cards doing that and so I was like oh a title card will tell me when the time period has changed and then I'd be like it looks like the costumes have changed, but I'm not sure if the time period has changed. And I think that coupled with just like the weird inconsistencies in character, like the male servant, uh, Bridges, Mm -hmm. Ellen's husband who becomes suddenly like very suddenly is like a huge drunk and like really hates the Marriott's who he had worked for.
0: Yeah. I didn't know where that came from. And that's when
1: he's yelling about them being snobs. But I was like, to this point, they've given us no indication that they're snobs. I was like, there was no indication that, he was unhappy with them. Like, they, I, like there was just well, given no reason it. And the Marriott's helped it.
0: him buy his bar. Like, they come back from the Second Boer War and are, like, all chummy. And all yeah. of a sudden... which,
1: you know, if they had indicated that something had happened over in the war or that, like, you know, before going off to war, he was unhappy with them, then, like, I would have bought it. But there just wasn't. Like, it just happened.
0: Yeah. that The whole scene with the bridges and... His death scene, I just... That was another thing where I'm trying to figure out what function that served.
1: I, You know what? I think kind of a problem with this movie is that there's not really a plot.
0: It just goes through how different events transpired yeah, it's, with these families. Let's
1: just watch this family over the course of, you know, what, 30-something years? Yeah. So, well, Which that... I think would work if the characters had been good. Yes. Because, you know, Grand Hotel to a certain extent was, let's watch these people interact in a hotel. And develop. But we, exactly, they developed, they were interesting characters, so like, I had no problem sitting there just watching them interact, whereas like Cavalcade, I was like, I have no attachment to these characters and I'm just watching them do stuff without any real purpose.
0: Right. And I almost felt like it was trying to say something with Fanny's song at the end, the 20th century blues. And it was the best message I could get out of that in my head was, oh, well, the first quarter of the 20th century was shit. Right. Let's but then, all view it but that and also see made how bad the, it was. That made
1: the film seem so reactionary to me, too, though. Because, of course, this is 1933, so we're about a year, a year and a half away from, like, Hayes Code being implicated mm-hmm. in Hollywood. You know, you've had kind of this social upheaval, not just in Britain, but in the U.S., where, like, you know, 1919 women have got the right to vote. You have, like, the 20s culture, which is a huge oh, shift from Victorian times.
0: caught that wonderful, well... I wouldn't say wonderful, but the reference to like, oh, we're becoming a godless society. No one's at church anymore. And like that, that whole montage kind of near before that final scene with uh, Robert and um, Jane, there was that whole, again, the double multiple exposure thing Mm -hmm. with, oh, this is how society is devolving. And it, again, it felt like it was trying to provide some social commentary and just didn't really drive it home for me.
1: In like what social commentary it was trying to provide was like super reactionary, which I'm well, never a fan of. But
0: conservative and like, why are we doing all this stuff? We need to go back to the good old times where everybody went to church and believed in our institutions, and wow, well, and women sounds, did not
1: go out to dinner by oh, themselves.
0: Never. That this feels very well at that point, at least feels very irrelevant today. It, but it
1: feels almost like a step back from the progression we were seeing in our best pictures yes you know I was looking at kind of what else was nominated that year so we're starting to get into the years where I've actually seen a decent amount of movies and like I'm able to recognize actors and actresses and like character actors across multiple movies or you know if I haven't seen the movie I've heard of a lot of the big ones from around this time um so looking at other nominees there was 42nd Street A Farewell to Arms I'm a Fugitive from a Chang Gang Lady for a Day Little Women The Private Life of Henry VIII She Done Him Wrong Smiling Through State Fair and then of course Cavalcade I have only of the those I've only seen Little Women which I love it's Catherine Hepburn as well she gives a killer performance as always and (laughs) But I've heard of a lot of those. Like, they're movies that I've heard spoken about. I've heard referenced. I've heard on lists of classics. Going into this, neither of us even knew what genre cavalcade was. And to me, like, that kind of says everything about the movie.
0: It's a commentary on its lack of staying power. It was.
1: It was just, it was very bland. It was vanilla. It was kind of meh. It was utterly forgettable.
0: Yeah. I'm with you on that.
1: So kind of, you know, looking at that list of what was nominated this year, again, the only one I've seen is Little Women. I would have given Little Women Best Picture over Cavalcade. I think Cavalcade does have the, like, epicness kind of going for that it. That is
0: one theme I found very interesting. It has... The Best Pictures Seen...
1: They like area. an epic, which... Exactly. I'm a sucker for an epic, too, not gonna lie. I'm excited to... epic, though. Well, I'm excited to watch Gone with the Wind. I'm excited to watch Ben-Hur. I have a feeling you're gonna hate Ben-Hur. <laughs> well, we'll... It's a bit we'll of a get slog. get through it.
0: <laughs> Lest lest us digress from the subject at hand too much. If you can't tell, yes. we are so ready to move on to the next Best Picture yes. winner. <laughs> um, but so you
1: know, something else I did. You know, I looked at other films to be like, what you know, I, came out during that time that maybe I've seen that I think could have, should have won over Cavalcade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Little Women. I mentioned the original King Kong, which is such a classic and like talk about staying power. Yes, you know they've rebooted it and done you know new versions of it we may have to revisit
0: this after watching some of the other winners and give you our diatribe on why cavalcade should not have won (laughs) at least through the lens though though you know
1: speaking of reboots i'm a big fan of the idea that do not remake a movie that was good the first time remake a bad movie i would not be opposed to a cavalcade remake given the right cast and writer
0: as long as they completely throw out the dialogue
1: yes that's why i said writer (laughs) um So Dinner at Eight, which is a Marx Brothers comedy and one of Jean Harlow's breakout roles. Um, queen Christina, starring Greta Garbo, which I think is such an interesting film from the time. She plays the Swedish queen, uh, Christina, obviously, but um, who is bisexual.
0: Interesting. Yeah, and it's Garbo, and she's oh, freaking amazing. I have a... So, sorry, continue.
1: Um, and then kind of the last one that I saw that I was like, how in the world did this not get nominated and did not win is Barbara Stanwyck's movie Babyface, which is the like quintessential pre-code film. It is phenomenal. She plays a secretary who like sleeps her way to the top of an office building, and they visually show it by like, it's kind of structured similarly to Cavalcade, where it's mm-hmm. kind of given in like chunks and vignettes over a course of years, and they show it by like, it'll start on the view of this office building at one window, and then it'll go up to the next like up a floor or two Mm -hmm. and then it shows her like interacting and stuff there but like she's phenomenal in it the movie is so good it's an example of a movie that spans multiple years but they've picked a character to focus on they Mm -hmm. give you time with barbara Stanwyck's character you get to know her and like you know there are various male characters throughout the film there's only one that's fairly consistent but those characters they're well developed they are actual characters like you have thoughts and opinions on them so I, you know, having seen that, you know, all the movies that came out that year, but particularly seeing that Babyface would have been eligible, I was like, ah, why Cavalcade?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we're doing some, we are applying a healthy amount of presentism here. So.
1: No, I mean, but like the Oscars, we're going to see it over the years. Like they love an epic and they love a historic drama.
0: Absolutely. I but mean, again, you know, this if- past
1: year we saw Dunkirk and The Darkest Hour nominated both World War II films.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and we'll get to that in, you know.
1: We're going to watch so many war films. I was looking back at the list and I was like, oh my God, there are so many war (laughs) films. And I love like war films too, but I I might need to take a break from them for a while after this podcast. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So getting back to Cavalcade a a, a little bit, I kind of want to talk about the costuming again. I know we touched on it really briefly, but I loved seeing how the costumes evolved So the very first couple scenes with uh, Robert going off to war, you see um, Jane in this Victorian getup is the best way I can think to describe it with the giant poofy sleeves and the really uh, angular bodice, Mm -hmm. um, which looked gorgeous. And then you also see the the giant hats of the period that just really placed the character in that era. Well,
1: and I liked the way that like Jane's dresses and hats differed from like Margaret's. Like, Margaret's yes. always seemed, like, slightly more fashion-forward and slightly more modern, which fit with her character.
0: Exactly. And so, as as you move over time, I, I the best juxtaposition I can think of is going to the very end scene again, where you have both women in these jazz era, very slimming, su- well, I wouldn't call them subtle, but instead of the giant poofy sleeves, they're much more form-fitted, and they have the smaller hats, and the, yeah. their hair was much more... It wasn't big and poofy and yeah, all it was that.
1: more close close to the head. And I mean, you know, their their stuff, you know, for the time would have been, you know, they are supposed to be older women at that point, so their stuff yes. isn't like as fashion forward as like uh, fannies is.
0: Exactly, but it still really enjoyed seeing that evolution of, of stuff through there.
1: Yeah, no, the co- I feel really bad because I didn't look up who did the costuming, but um, I'll I'll Google it as we continue to talk because <laughs> like, I do want to like mention them because they i think they did a spectacular job
0: i really enjoyed the beach scenes too uh with the costuming there so even even the dandy show uh that they had where they announced fanny as the the winner with the little teddy bear there yeah it's i don't know it felt very not too on the nose but like perfectly on the nose for showing that time period and showing how people of jane and robert's stature would have vacationed and worked really well though I did find it interesting that uh, Edith and their eldest son decided to go out on the beach where it was all sandy in these, clo- <laughs> these clothes, which again, I guess these are technically British beaches, which aren't so much sandy as they are rocky. I was going to say, they're um, also
1: rich. They can afford new clothes. Oh,
0: absolutely. Well, it's not about ruining the clothes. It's about getting sand <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> um, but that part I I really did enjoy. And so it's sort of like we alluded to at the beginning, the set and... The costuming were both very, very well done. Um, it's just the acting kind of let us down.
1: Yeah. I'm having a hard time finding who did the costuming. Oh, you know, speaking of kind of the transition with the World War I and that like weird overlapping montage that mm-hmm. I actually liked, they do it again at the end in a way that I really hated.
0: <laughs> oh, the one where it was all the headlines like a divorce, divorce, divorce.
1: Yes. And all that.
0: Oh, That was not my
1: there was there was one headline that was like sex murder crime
0: (laughs) well and they had something about orgies too yeah and i'm like okay how about we'd have some more more moral panic i like yeah
1: i think that was the bit where i was like this is so reactionary but it was just like it didn't serve a purpose there and it was it was like oh so we have costumes costumes were oh god i have to try and pronounce this last name Earl Lewick?
0: That sounds right to me based on what I'm seeing. But okay. as we digress from the moral panic Yeah, sorry. I just, just wanted of... to
1: say that since we we're, um, you know, praising the costumes so much. But yeah, it was like this weird moral panic. And it felt like almost what had happened was that whoever like put together the World War One montage had like done it and like shown it to the director or the producers and been like, look at this cool thing I did. And they were like, that's awesome. And they were like, you know, that cool thing you did earlier, we should do it again. Oh, yeah. Like, it just, it didn't Not seem to a have fan. a real purpose there, and it was just, like, it was weirdly trippy. Well, it trippy was tacked and... on to
0: that scene with Fanny uh, doing the 20th century blues. Yeah. Like, again, it was a moral panic thing.
1: Well, and it was also, again, so heavy-handed.
0: Exactly. Now, I will say with that scene with Fanny, was that, like, a veiled reference to the gays? Did you notice that there were two women sitting together and being all buddy, buddy, and then two men sitting together and one of them was putting a watch on the other. And I was like, is this coded? Oh, maybe when I,
1: when I saw the two women, I just thought one of them looked really sad. So I thought maybe it was like her friend comforting her or something. But like, I, I think I looked away to write down the reactionary stuff when it must have shown the two men.
0: (laughs) But again, maybe that would have fed right into that moral panic. And I know I've said moral panic like 17 times, but
1: i mean that that's what the whole end like last half of that movie was and it was like weird too because it felt like it came out of nowhere based on the beginning
0: and then you had the again lack of transition into robert and jane's scene at the end where are like oh it's been a great couple decades
1: been marked with tragedy and all this stuff but we made it through and then she was like but there were some unbelievably happy times and i was like where they didn't show us like (laughs) any of those i think we got to see like the opening scene was happy but then like queen victoria died and she was like it's like a personal loss and i was like okay like i'm sure it was like i mean that event actually really did like rock the british empire and stuff but like where were
0: your happy moments tell us now (laughs) yes
1: yes because there were very few that i saw exactly i just saw a lot of them telling us very, very, very blatantly that characters were going to die and then us being like, oh, look, that character did die.
0: Joey was too happy. He had to die.
1: Well, also (laughs) when they're like talking about the armistice, I think I straight up wrote, I was like, Joey gonna die. Also when him, him and Fanny went up on the roof of the club during the Zeppelin barrage, I was like, they're idiots. Yeah. I thought they might both die right there, honestly.
0: It probably would have been more theatrically uh, pleasing for me. <laughs> yeah. then it would be dramatic and immediate. Then
1: like having that weird bit where we're suddenly told that Jane is super classist right. and she's really mean to Ellen. And yeah. then. So anyway. She's that's... like, we don't have to worry about this actually because Joey's dead. Collapse on two floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So. I think with that, are we ready to uh, move into our fun little random notes? Yeah. Because I actually do have a couple. Yeah. Cause... Let's see.
1: Because I also watched this one really late at night. So.
0: <laughs> well, speaking I After speaking a gin of Joey, and tonic,
1: too. Because I was like, it's a British movie about a British family. We better oh, make ourselves gin. a gin and tonic.
0: So s- starting with Joey and Fanny, when he's on leave, what the fuck was that kiss? He was like all of the kisses in this movie. No,
1: all of the kisses in this movie were awkward. I wrote that down. I was like, all of these kisses seem really weird.
0: And it it was, yeah, it was off putting. I did not like it at all. It was like he was trying to like strangle her. I also have a note that's like,
1: let's not hide in people's dressing rooms.
0: Oh my god, he was creepy as hell. Well, I I don't. I
1: actually did like that they had him being like, oh shit, I shouldn't have been in here, and then the trying to sneak out. Yes. But so, like, that, that was a little bit better for his character, because you kind of got the idea that he thought was like, oh, this is a fun, like, kid prank. I'll, like, hide in my friend's dressing room. And he's like, oh, no, no, this is this is not appropriate, and then tried to, like, leave. But, yeah, no, all of the kisses in this movie were weird.
0: Oh, absolutely. I was not a fan.
1: Oh, I have, you know... Oh, I have a note that I was like, Jane and Robert's marriage seems too idyllic at the beginning.
0: Well, if you notice, you don't look into it, so I'm... I, was I bet like he's I'm, off doing things. But I
1: w- but like it, I was like, it seems too Id- idyllic and like I'm just not buying the relationship between the two leads. I yeah. think that was because of that. I was like, there seems to be like no nuance to this at all. And then uh there's the line that Diana Winward has that's the about the kids and she's and when the husband's going off to the Boer war and it's thank God they're too young to fight. Peace and happiness for you, my dears. And I was like, World War One gonna roll around.
0: <laughs> no peace and happiness Called for you. Call that one. <laughs> I also, I don't know if this was the first film with product placement or not, but there were two cases. One, after the Boer War was over, or maybe it was New Year's Eve. I can't remember which one. I Um, did like the
1: thread of New Year's Eve kind of tying them all together, but I wish they would leaned into it more.
0: Oh, agreed. Auld Lang Syne. Yeah. But there was a giant bus with Lipton's tea on it, and I was like, oh, is this product placement in like the thirties? And then there was another one at the armistice from world war one where they had doers on another bus. And I'm like,
1: what's doers? Um, I,
0: it's scotch.
1: I believe. I wonder if that might've been setting establishment too, though. Partially.
0: See, I, I'm like, Oh geez, but there's more than just doers. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um,
1: but I mean, you know, that could have just been the one that they chose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe so it was, that was Frank Lloyd's favorite. I don't know. But um, oh, uh, speaking of the Old, old Lang Syne, I w- did not like score.
0: Parts of it were okay. Parts of it were not. And I I don't know. I, I mean, Old Lang Syne, Lang Syne, if you're using New
1: Year's as like the connecting thread, like I get that, but it was just like, I, there didn't seem to be much like original music.
0: And I'm okay with that because they needed to have God Save the Queen in there. Yeah, since... but I
1: I think, I feel like you can weave that into themes. Well, but so, remember,
0: it wasn't a subtle movie. I know, so. <laughs> I know. I'm about to
1: reference another movie even though I said I would stop doing this in the last episode and that I would focus up. I'm not gonna. Um. So, you know, speaking of like weaving themes into score, we'll talk about this more when we do the Gone with the Wind episode but there is a scene where you, um, it's the siege of Atlanta and the camera pulls back at the train station you just see rows and rows of like wounded and dying and they have uh, Dixie overlaid with taps to, like, emphasize that you are watching the death of the Antebellum South. And that's what I mean, where, like, you can take themes and you can weave them into the music and you can, yes. instead of just straight up playing them. Yeah, like, like you when can,
0: Johnny comes marching home, it's yes. just like, oh, they're coming home and we're going to play Johnny comes marching home because he comes marching home.
1: Yes, like, you can you could weave it into, like, more original music or you could, like do a variation on it in a way that does more and, again, isn't so just, like, in-your-face, obvious. Like, I'm going to tell you what's happening in, like, 50 different ways very, very blatantly, and I'm going to foreshadow everything because I don't want you to get confused. Yet I'm going to structure this movie like a mess so you're still kind of confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was just not a huge fan of the square. I also do have a note that I was, like... If I have to see someone tell children to, quote, look after your mother, one more time, my head will explode. She's a grown fucking woman. And she has a lot
0: of money. She can pay for people to look after her.
1: <laughs> no, that is, that is my biggest pet peeve. And, like, you see it in so many, like, war movies and stuff. It's like the dad always turns to usually a son, sometimes a daughter, but usually a son is, like...
0: And they're, and, what, like, eight?
1: Yeah, they're, like like, ten or younger. I mean, even if they're a teenager, I'm like, that teenager can't take care of a grown person. That teenager knows nothing but um and he's like take care of your mother for me and it's usually like some 6-year-old being like yes father but like <laughs> i it drives me up a wall
0: it was it was not good but there and were also no butts in this film there were no butts little, in this film i was a little disappointed <laughs>
1: really because i was like this is getting ridiculous at this point <laughs> after the last one well
0: i mean we were on a roll so it's just gotta get completion <laughs> it's bonus. every
1: other one. Oh, okay <laughs> that's what but, it feels like
0: so anyway that is uh i think the extent of my notes on cavalcade
1: oh i do have one that's just Emmeline Pankhurst with three exclamation points i like that they included her in their important people's sculpture well i think it nice was though. it was establishing time period um
0: But not with the title card. More confusion. Anyway. Yeah, again, (laughs) again, I
1: yeah, I wish they'd shown, I don't know, just some consistency in how they chose to do that. I also have um, Edward and Edith are fucking goners on the Titanic and this whole dying combo, so heavy handed. This movie does not believe in subtlety.
0: Also would just like I would
1: just like to point out. They were clearly in the upper-class decks. So there's a good chance that they would have actually made it into a lifeboat, or at the very least, Edith would have.
0: Yes. So I'm kind of sad that Edith didn't live. But, okay, listen, listen to this beautiful quote. This is where um, Eldest Son says, How long do you give us? And then Edith responds with, I don't care. This is our moment, complete and heavenly. I'm not afraid of anything. This is our own forever, and I'm like. okay. I
1: wow. almost wanted her to look over her shoulder and be like, "Oh my gosh, Edward, look at that beautiful iceberg! Don't you think it's magical?" It would and be like,
0: amazing. <laughs> like that's
1: that is the level that I was like starting to expect yes. at that point. And
0: it's like, okay, you're going to be literally frozen in time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Like it, so, and and yeah, you yeah. know, we're we're harping on this and kind of making fun of it, and like you know, I think. On their own, or wrapped into more reasonable dialogue, some of those lines and some of those monologues and some of those conversations would have been very nice and powerful, and that we'd be talking about them in a different way. Absolutely. Like almost every line was like this.
0: Yeah, I' mm, not going to rewatch it.
1: Yeah, I yeah no, I've I've seen it. I can say I've seen it. Like I think I'm I'm kind of there with this film. Like I'm I'm I've been there, done that.
0: Yeah, agreed. So want to move into rankings now? Let's talk about
1: rankings. I'm, I'm actually very curious about yours.
0: Okay. So, uh, definitely did not, you know, displace all quiet on the Western front. What I know I'm so, (laughs) so unpredictable right now. Shocked. Um, number two is still wings. Number three is still grand hotel. And here is where I'm not sure where I want to put it because it's definitely better than a Broadway melody for me. But I'm debating whether it's better or worse than Cimarron. <laughs> and I'm thinking overall, I actually liked Cimarron better. So really. Can, can
1: you can you describe my face for listeners right now?
0: Maggie is just like so shocked right now.
1: I'm so excited. Because I had the exact same conundrum.
0: <laughs> but you went the opposite way, didn't you? No,
1: I put oh. it after Cimarron. Yes,
0: so we're still in the same. <laughs> so no, yes. we're not. Or Grand oh, Hotel
1: and Wings are flopped, remember? Oh, that's you right. You were upset about it. Okay,
0: so anyway, my list is number one, All Quiet. Number two, Wings. Number three, Grand Hotel. Number four, Cimarron. Number five, this wonderful movie called Cavalcade. And then lastly, in number six, A Broadway Melody. Yeah,
1: I too put it after Cimarron. And I think kind of... I really did struggle with it, too. Um, I think kind of what put Cimarron above it for me, because, you know, again, with all of the problems Cimarron had, and I would argue that in some ways Cimarron, at least like socially had worse problems than Cavalcade did. There were still, despite all those problems, there were nuggets of promise and there were nuggets of a story that I wanted to see, even Mm -hmm. though it didn't always quite get there and then again on the whole there were characters that I found interesting and I found complicated and who I could you know either get behind or hate like I Cimarron pulled some emotion from me cavalcade didn't yeah like
0: well and let's talk about structure for a minute Cimarron had structure and I believe executed well it like followed that multi-act structure that was Effective, And then you have Cavalcade that was this mess of, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I just got whiplash because I don't know where we are in time or in the story or with the characters. And
1: again, with Cavalcade, to a certain degree, I was like, what's the point? Like, for as much as they were just, like, hammering, like, concepts and trying to, like, hammer themes into your skull, like, it's still at the end of the day. I was like, what is the point of this movie? Yep. Whereas, like, Cimarron, I was like, I see what you were trying to do. While I didn't always like it, there was the potential to do so much more. And Mm -hmm. to me with Cavalcade, I'm like, I don't even, like, I just, I don't care almost.
0: Yeah, same. So, yeah, that is uh, our take on Cavalcade. So far, second from the last.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I almost put it after Broadway Melody to a certain extent, but I was like, Broadway Melody was too much of a cluster. But Broadway Melody, I had fun talking about what a cluster it
0: was. <laughs> Cavalcade, we were just like, okay, let's do this and move on. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I mean, you know, that's you know, not to say there weren't good things about it. Again, costumes were amazing, mm-hmm. sets were good. Irene Brown, I thought, gave a very nice performance. As Margaret, I also, like, I thought that she, as the character's aged, her physicality was super good. Yes. Um, and then, you know. Diana Winward I did enjoy her performances during parts of it Mm -hmm. but yeah I think just kind of to sum up this film for me would be meh and forgettable
0: well it's not forgettable now because I realized how meh it was (laughs) (laughs) it's like that
1: uh that quote from uh Cash 22 it's like he was so mediocre that like he was even mediocre to mediocre people or something like that yeah Alrighty, wrapping it up. Yeah. Okay, so you know, if you want to uh, tweet us about how we're wrong or right on Cavalcade, why you love it or why you also found it meh,
0: I would really love some input on why people would find it. Yeah, I awesome. mean, if we would I want to see honestly, yes, it.
1: we would honestly love to hear when people disagree with us. Um, you know, please, please tell us nicely. <laughs> I
0: mean, um, I, I have a thick skin. I can take has some. A thick not- skin. I'll forward you those emails then.
1: Um, so yeah, if you want to, you know, tweet at us, let us know what you think um, on Twitter. We are at Best Pictures Pod. You can also find us on Instagram, where we are also at Best Pictures Pod. If you have more of a long form response um, and Twitter just won't do it, you can email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail dot com.
0: And with that, I'm Ian
1: i'm maggie and we will hope you will tune in next week for it happened one night which we are both super pumped about so excited okay bye guys y'all